This message comes to you from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon, where we are committed to living like Jesus and sharing His love. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. We're going to talk about His name is Jesus. And one more of those names we'll deal with today. His name is Jesus, God's only Son. Here's the slide. The Savior of my soul, everlasting, always loving, never failing, strong in every storm, healer and redeemer. His name is Jesus. Wonderful time of year that everybody actually uses the name Jesus right now in songs and poems and all over the, wherever they can. Some people won't use them because of the politics behind it, but... The name Jesus being mentioned all over just always uh, blesses me during Christmas. Even the, the different musicals that go on and I watch here and there and some on television and you see all the different choirs and schools and different things that do uh, musicals. And it's, it's so wonderful to watch them all sing about Jesus. Now, do they know everything they're singing? I don't know that. Uh, good possibility they don't. But the very fact that they're lifting up and even saying the name Jesus because there's something about that name. Even when you just say it, just saying the name of Jesus, whether you know it or not, singing it, reading it, looking at it, the name of Jesus has an effect on the soul because Jesus Christ, being Savior of the world, has a power in his name. So when that name is mentioned, stuff begins to happen. Matthew 1.21. Matthew 1.21, she will bring a son to birth, and when she does, you, Joseph, will name him Jesus. God saves because he will save his people from their sins. God saves and he will save his people from their sins. Tradition would have it that his name should have been Joseph, not Jesus, after the father would have been called your son's name, Joseph, you call your son Joseph. But God comes to Joseph and says, you won't call him Joseph. His name will be Jesus because his father is not you. And so the name Jesus from the very beginning begins to frame in the whole character and work of this child that's being born. And this is one of the most famous Christmas verses. You will have a son and you will call his name Jesus. Multiple songs written from that verse right there. But I want to read it slowly and I want you just to notice what is said in this verse about him. You'll bring forth a son to birth. When she does, you, Joseph, will name him Jesus. God saves because he will save his people from their sins. Christmas is all about Jesus, but this verse is all about what he saves you from. So from the very beginning, the very first proclamation of Christ, the word sin is used with no apology, with no explanation, with some kind of a context that people might understand it. Israel certainly did. We might not, but they did. So the very first word over this Christ child, this Messiah, this, this son that's being born, born of a virgin birth, born 
of a supernatural father, Father God, born like nobody else has been, ever will be, born Emmanuel, God with us. This son will take away your sins. For all 4,000 years prior to that verse, 4,000 years, no one had been able to take away their sins. Nobody. You could push the sin forward to a sacrifice, an animal sacrifice. You could do all the tabernacles and temples and <clears throat> all they were still doing in the day when Christ was born with the synagogue. You could do everything, but no one ever, ever, ever proclaimed the power to take away your sins. Hide them. Put them under the blood. Put them under the sacrifice. Put them under God's wrath that would come on the sacrifice and not the person, but the sin was never removed, ever. And sometimes we miss, hidden in this verse, a deep theological part, which we don't need to go with because it's Christmas, but I'm just so struck by the power of the words that he will save you from your sins. Why is that so important? Well, there's two aspects of it. I'm only going to deal with one just in a few minutes. I have, but when we were born, we were born into sin. Whether you like the word or not or understand the word or not, the word sin is a word that is used throughout the Bible and it's translated so many different ways. It's translated bad and wicked and iniquity and transgression and sin and uh, all different words from the same Hebrew and Greek words. But we were born into something wrong, something wrong. Our nature was wrong because we were born in Adam. Adam fell, and Adam introduced this wrong nature into the whole human race. And so we were born into a fallen nature, an Adamic nature it's called, and that nature is, is filled with bad. It's filled with transgression. It's filled with wrong. Whether you want to or not, you're filled with it. Even if you don't want to decide to be bad, you're bad. You don't want to decide to transgress the law? You do it. First breath you take. As soon as you're born into the world, you're born into an anomia, a transgression, a, a, a nature that twisted. There's something wrong. And you're separated from God. It's not natural. You don't commune with God naturally. You don't serve God, love God, become like God. Nothing in you. Why? Because there's something wrong with you. You're born into it. You're born into it. So because I'm born into sin, I have sins that I have to deal with. Now being born into sin and Christ became sin for me, my way to inherit a new nature is to inherit Christ. And so to get out of the eternal damnation and the judgment for my my being born into Adam and being lost from God and the song we talked to, or sang earlier about being lost and the Savior has come. What a beautiful song, beautiful words, and very accurate words. So I call upon the name of Christ. Hopefully I do this. And I realize there's something bad driving me in iniquity. Uh, uh, there's something wrong and my relationship with God is broken. I, I don't understand why I have this need in me to relate to God, but there's something in me that cries out for more and I might look for it here, look for it there, but I, I finally enter into Christ. And so that, that sin destiny is turned and I'm introduced to Christ. That's first step. 
when I'm introduced to Christ, I still have sins, plural. Not sin, nature, sins. And his name will be called Jesus and he will save you from your, your sins, plural. That caught my attention. And so I, I want to talk about Jesus, the Savior of the world, but I want to personalize and Here's my, my definition of it as Jesus the Savior because the word Jesus means Savior. The word Jesus has in it sozo, that, that powerful word, save, save. Jesus Save. Save from what? He's the Savior of. Savior of what? So this word, Jesus, which means Savior, the, the foundation of all the words comes right out of this verse. Jesus is your Savior. The word actually means deliverer. Deliverer. The one who rescues, that's, that's part of this definition, rescue. From threat to your divine destiny, whoa, stop, what do you mean? Every one of us when we're born into Christ, we're born into purpose, born into purpose, born into destiny, born into destiny, we're born into something that God chosen for our life, which the sin nature will fight and try to take from us, but Christ redeems us for a purpose. And the threats that come against that purpose is the sins of my life, the twistings, the bad, the wrong, the stuff. Jesus comes to rescue you from the threats to your destiny and restores purpose and wholeness. All in that word. You know, actually, one of the best translated New Testament words for the word Jesus and for the word Savior in the New Testament, and you'll read it and you'll see it, is the word whole, made you whole. Whole, W-H-O-L-E. She touched Jesus and he made her whole. He touched Jesus and made him whole. And you find that word throughout the New Testament. It is that Jesus restores your soul and saves you from all the things that makes your soul the soul you don't want. He makes you whole. Now, that's a word that a lot of people understand right now. Holistic, wholeness, healing, health, spirit, soul, and body. Everyone looks for it through meditations or through health foods or through the right education or through some way to settle yourself down through uh, mind things or uh, religion. People look for wholeness a lot of ways. Why? Because there's, there's a piece of you that has to be in alignment to be whole. If your soul has Christ, you have a chance for your emotions, mind, and will to be whole which affects your body, which affects your life. Wholeness starts within, not from without, not what you eat. It what, it's what eats you. It, it's not you externally making everything that's whole. It's first finding wholeness inside. So the proclamation here, Jesus is our Savior, rescues you from the threats Restores purpose. Now, I know it's Christmas, and I, I, 
I know we had kids musical, and I know that there are people here that's with family and just came to kind of ring the bell or hear it and hear the songs and go home and, and hear the preachers talking about kind of deeper stuff today. But I want to, just for a moment, get you to think about, one, how's your purpose in life going? Two, are you fulfilled? Three, do you have threats? What threatens you from being whole? What, what are the segments of your soul that's messed up? What is it that if you had a magic wand, you would remove from your life? What is it you can't break? What is it you can't heal? You can't heal it. You can't think yourself out of it. You can't just reach down and change it all. Poof, okay, I'm good. I'm good to go now. Doesn't work like that sometimes. Not good to go. It's not a magic wand. Sometimes brokenness lives inside of us for a long time. We don't know how to remove it. So when this verse says, Jesus comes to be the Savior from my sins, I'm very interested in that kind of a Savior. Now, taking this apart a little bit, here's some things Jesus will save me from. Number one, what will he save me from? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really, really claim this one for myself, for my friends, for my family, for my grandkids, everybody I can influence. Number one, Jesus saves us from missing the mark he has set for us. Why? The word sin, hamatia, in the Greek, from the archery family of words. And it simply means miss the mark. You shoot the arrow, but you miss the target. All kinds of people in this room and other rooms and online, wherever this message ends up going. Some of you are just at the beginning of getting your bow up and your arrow pointed somewhere. You're at the beginning. Feels so good and so strong and so right. All kinds of dreams and ideas, and you have a market, you have a target, you have a destiny, you have a dream, you have a a feel, you have a, a way to think about your life. And it feels so right, it feels so good, and it feels so positive, and other people are feeding into it, and you're reading books, and you're checking out other things, and maybe you're starting your education, maybe you're starting your career, maybe you're starting your business, maybe you're starting your family, and you have all kinds of ideas about your family. Maybe you have young children. Every child, you have an idea and a dream for them and an idea for this one and that one. And as they grow, you see a talent. You start dreaming about this. All different kinds of dreamers to hit the target. Then there's those people that are living toward the other end where life has been lived half, three-quarters, Midlife crisis is midlife dream crisis, midlife target crisis, midlife I hit the wrong target crisis. 
where people live long enough to see I'm not hitting the target. Worse, I think worse, worse than not hitting the target you should hit is hitting the wrong target. Actually hitting the wrong target. And then realizing, geez, I, I, I hit the wrong target. Not even the target I thought I wanted to hit. Why did I aim at that target? Then there's those that live their whole life. Maybe you can correct mid-course, mid-life, mid-40s. What happens when you're mid-60s, 70s, 80s? And you look back and you realize there's no redeeming the time. There's no changing your decisions. And at that point, if you marked your life with something that was worth a legacy or, or worth a target to hit, you'll take a deep breath and you'll say life was worth it. No regrets. Apostle Paul, I'm ready to be offered up. My time of departure is at hand. There's a crown waiting for me like many of you who have stayed next to Christ and Christ has taken my life. He's going to now pour me off out like an uh, oblation, like a wine offering. He's going to pour my life out now. It's over. But I'll tell you what, I achieved what I needed to achieve. So I'm ready. Well, to be ready then, you got to be ready now. And so it makes me kind of just move a little closer to Jesus and say, wow, I would really love for you to redeem me from the sin of missing my mark. I don't want to miss my mark. It says in the Bible that Jesus will help me not misfire. Failure to achieve, this is what the word means. Hit my purpose. A teacher with a young group of kids trying to get a feeling for their life had them write out a paper about their life. And she had them start with two statements and write two different pieces of paper. Write two different short one-pagers. She asked the first question for the first paper. She says, I want you to write a paper about your life. And this is the angle you'll write it from. Everything I've ever done has led me to where I find myself today. I want you to write a paper about your life, thinking about everything I have ever done has led me to where I find myself today. What would that look like? Then she asked the other question. Write the paper from this angle. It is only after many surprises, choices, and detours and disappointments that I have arrived somewhere I could never have anticipated. Never could have anticipated. Which one will it be? Well, for those teenagers or those college students, that's rhetoric, that's just literature, that's writing, that's dreaming, that's putting it down. But for those who live life, for those who live the reality of this, if you have to do it on your own, 
on your own and pull the trigger right every time and aim right every time, how can you possibly, possibly see what you do when you're 20, how it affects you when you're 40 or 60? How can you possibly know that? Well, there's some ways to do some wise decision-making, but life is not some kind of an accountant's ledger where everything is in order, and if you do this, it equals this, you do this, it equals this, because two plus two does not equal four with life. It does not equal four. People who take care of their body, eat the healthiest, exercise all the time. They're going to put their life, they're going to live this long because they, they know that 2 plus 2 equals 4 and this is what I do. And then they get a disease and die at 36. 2 plus 2 does not equal 4 in a fallen world. You cannot guarantee health. You cannot guarantee good things to happen to your life. Only a portion of them. That's why I think it's so important to remind every one of us, Jesus can help us and save us as a Savior from missing the mark. How many of you would say, I think I need a little bit more of Jesus, and I think I understand. I don't want sins. Save me from my sins. What twist? What kind of a thing will cause me to miss the mark? Uncontrolled anger, uncontrolled lust, uncontrolled deception, dark habits, things that drive your soul deep but grooves it the wrong way, things that take you the wrong direction and, and you kind of let it but you know it's kind of wrong but you don't stop it. Relationally, financially, mentally, emotionally, every area of life. Jesus comes along and says, you know, I can save you from that. I can save you from that. Number two, the second thing Jesus saves me from. Jesus saves me from living with guilt and condemnation. Now, there are doctors that make millions just on this one aspect of sin. Because sin, unresolved, causes guilt. And guilt, unresolved, brings condemnation. And condemnation twists you every which way. Shame, condemnation, guilt without being handled the proper way. Guilt is like the red warning light on the dashboard of the car. You can either stop and deal with the trouble or you can break out the light. The, the light irritates me. I wish this red light would quit flashing. I'm going to unplug the, I'm going to break the fuse. I'm going to do something. I don't want to drive with a dashboard with a blinking red light. Well, guilt is that blinking red light saying there's something out of order here, there's something wrong, there's something really inside of you that's gonna really hurt you. If you don't resolve it, you gotta resolve this. I don't wanna resolve it, and I don't want the red flashing light. You cannot ignore the red flashing light, but there is a way to resolve it. And Jesus is the cheapest way to get good counseling. 
He is the cheapest way to get your mind right. He is the most amazing counselor who knows how to go deep into the human soul and root out guilt, shame, crippling guilt is what I call it, a great destroyer of emotions, you know this, a great destroyer of minds and energy, feeling paralyzed because of something that has already happened. Now this is why guilt is so difficult to deal with, it's because you can only have guilt with something that's already happened. You don't have guilt for what's going to happen, you have guilt with things that have already happened. Guilt is important if it is handled right. Knowing what is right and wrong is absolutely necessary. Got that, understand that. But crippling guilt, crippling guilt over the past, not the future, the past, is unresolved guilt. Being consumed. Now, just ask yourself this question. Am I consumed with the emotion of guilt? Is it unending remorse? about a past mistake. I just should not have done that. Stupid me. Stupid me. Five years later, stupid me. Why did I do that? Thinking about it, it just brings a dark cloud right back over you. Driving down the road, daydreaming in your chair at home, you remember the mistake, you think about the situation, and that cloud comes back over you, and you have this unending, unresolved remorse. Can you go back and change the past? No. No. You can't. Well, since you can't go back and change the past, what possibly can you do to deal with the past? That's, that is the whole gospel message on how Christ, who is Alpha and Omega, beginning and end, he lived in the past, the present, and the future. He knows how to handle everything. He can take something that has been done in the past and he can turn you around by you bringing forgiveness to yourself, forgiveness to other people, you having a release from the guilt of that and the shame of that and the condemnation, bringing it to the cross, praying to Jesus. Jesus roots the thing out. He turns it around so you can use it as a positive tool to help other people. He knows how to deal with the past, but if you don't have a way to deal with the path, guilt will deal with you the rest of your life. The rest of your life. <clears throat> How do you know when it's bad guilt? Satan's guilt. Remember this if you don't remember anything else. Satan's guilt always is tied to no hope. The guilt of the devil, the guilt of our enemy, who is very real, is always a hopeless guilt. You did it, you can't change it. You're guilty, you can't do anything about it. You broke it, you can't fix it. It's your fault, you know. There's no way to change anything. That's not Jesus. Jesus, it's Hebrews 8, 12, I'll be merciful to their unrighteousness, to their sins, and their sins, and their sins, and their sins, and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. What an awesome verse. Hebrews 8, 12. What an awesome verse. John 8, verse 10. When Jesus raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, 
Remember this woman caught in adultery and Jesus reached down, writes on the sand and all the accusers are all around him and nobody knows exactly what he wrote in the sand but it caused all of them to kind of walk away and Jesus looks at her and says, where are those accusers of yours? Have no one condemned you? She said, no one. He said, then go. Sin no more. I don't accuse you either. You're free from this. You go. Sin no more. My question to you is, is Jesus in your life enough that you're living on purpose, not missing your mark, not misfiring, taking care of the sins, the dysfunctionalities, the twisted stuff that all of us deal with in our life. Some more than others, but all of us deal with stuff so that we can hit the mark, not be distracted, not lose it, or get rid of the guilt and the shame because there's nothing to do in the past.